And I'm going to continue our series today on the cross-shaped life. And uh, we've really enjoyed, uh, well, I shouldn't say we've enjoyed it. It's been somewhat uh, revealing to, uh, to preach on the cross and what the implication of that is. I don't know if there's any way we can take this spot a little bit down. It's really, really bright in my eyes, but apparently I don't need to see you. I just need to preach. So here we go. So last week we really talked about how Jesus Christ emptied himself uh, of his, you know, this divinity that Jesus uh, has always been and always will be. But he came and the Bible recalls or tells us in the book of Philippians that he emptied himself of that that divinity and and, uh, laid it aside. And uh, we don't know how he did that, but he did it. And though he came, he was still 100% God, but he never accessed that deity. He lived 100% as a man. And uh, really as our savior and our example, and he came as a, as a humble, vulnerable, obedient servant. And really he lived a cross-shaped life long before he went to the cross. And so he became our example of what that life was really about. Jesus, you know, came and he was born really to die. He was born to die. But the Bible is very clear as well that we are born again to die to ourselves so that Christ can live in us. And that's really uh, where we started our, this part of the series in the book of Philippians. What I'm going to look at today is the bookends that surround that verse. That was verses 5 to 11 of the second chapter of Philippians. I'm going to look at verses 1 to 4 and 12 to 16. And they shape and form a picture for you and I in really understanding that the kingdom of God is revealed as we live our lives together. You see, as your life as a believer... And as a follower of God, church, the Bible actually calls you strangers and aliens in this world. You are foreigners. And uh, it's not because of what we, how we do and that we sing songs and close our eyes. A lot of people sing songs and close their eyes. Uh, But you are part of a kingdom, a kingdom that is not really clearly, totally understood, but it is seen through your lives and experienced even in a room like this. That, uh, you know, we're part of this kingdom of God, and though it's, it's right here and it's in our ever-present now, it's still veiled. There's something that separates us from that kingdom. But as we live our lives together and as we live cross-shaped lives, what ends up happening is that kingdom is greater revealed in us and through us to this world. You see, the kingdom of God is meant to be uncovered. That's why we pray for things like in the Lord's Prayer, you know, Thy kingdom come, right, on earth as it already is in heaven. But do you understand that it's somewhat veiled to our world and sometimes it's even thickly veiled to our world? Our world cannot see clearly that God loves them, that God is for them and not against them. There's a veil. There's something that is keeping them blinded from that truth and from that reality. But we are to be those people that demonstrate that we live in the kingdom of God and our lives together and our lives individually and collectively, as I've said, uh, really reveal Christ to this world. And when a people begin to reveal the kingdom of God in their lives, when they begin to reveal the kingdom of God collectively, uh, you know, some people call that an open heaven. And what they mean by open heaven is that the distance between heaven and earth is kind of removed, and you can experience God's kingdom. You know, I believe that even today in worship, many of you experience the kingdom of God. 
you experienced a life of love, a joy, a peace, a presence that you can't explain, but it's evident. It's evident. You're like, I don't know what's going on. I come into this room and there's something happening. And, I, you know, the, the Celtic Christians had this incredible term. They called it the, the thin places, that there were certain locales and rare locations on, the, on, on heaven, on earth, sorry, where the distance between heaven and earth collapses. And you can go to those special locations, and there's actually people, I was reading a book from a guy, uh, he, he's not even a believer. He's just seeking all over, and he goes and he finds these thin places, he calls them, where you walk into a room or to a group of people, and you begin to experience something that doesn't make sense. You're like, what is happening in this atmosphere around us? Because that, that, that division between heaven and earth is beginning, becoming more and more erased. And I believe, church, I truly do, that God wants to make Mournville a thin place. I believe that. You know, I often have that thought go through my mind. Can anything good happen in Mournville? Because um, they said that about Jesus. Can anything good happen in Nazareth? Of course, something good can happen. Amen? So let's be that thin place as we live our cross-shaped lives. We begin to eliminate the barrier between heaven and earth. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to reveal his glory and his goodness to people because of the depth of his love. So how does that happen? Let's pray and see if we can begin to understand it from the bookends of the verse that we looked at last week. So, Father, we just thank you, God, that you, you come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I pray that this is a thin place. I pray that the veil is torn and that we see. I pray for those eyes to see and those ears to hear. I pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you, God, to know the hope that you have given us, to know the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus and to know the incomparable power of the resurrection. Because, Lord, we die to self not to remain dead. We die to self so that we can experience the resurrection power and life of Jesus Christ. Bless your people today, Lord. Amen and amen. So starting with the bookends, number one is the kingdom life of Jesus is revealed as we live with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit Let's just read the first two verses of Philippians chapter 2. Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You've experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. Church, you and I are more connected to God than we could ever possibly comprehend. We will know it one day, but right now we don't fully comprehend how connected we really are. Why? Because it's veiled. Who we're in relationship with and, and what that really means in your life and my life is still somewhat veiled. It's not quite clear. The Bible's very clear that one day that veil will be completely removed and we shall see clearly. But I'm going to tell you, this verse tells you that you are in community with both the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. There are two very interesting Greek words, and I'm not a Greek scholar. You can look this up yourself. You can study this stuff yourself, but I'm going to tell you what the two words are. The words are koinonia and perikalesis. Those are the two words. Well, what do they mean? 
and uh, you've been united with Christ. There's a common sharing. The word koinonia, by the way, the word koinonia just means fellowship or, or, or joined together. It's a common union with or partnership. We're, we're part of what is called the fellowship of Christian assemblies. And that word is the koinonia of Christian assemblies. There's a connection between you and I, according to this verse, that is very profound. This deep communion with God. As a matter of fact, we're going to take communion at the end of the service, which is really a celebration of the koinonia that we enjoy with God. There's a deep connection between you and I and between Christ. And then there's this other Greek word, this parakalesis, which is a very interesting word. It means comforter, counselor, one who stands beside you strong to defend you. It's where we get our name paralegal from or an attorney from. And so God is saying that I've connected you, church, with a paralegal. I've connected you with one who's come beside you, strong to defend you. Not only does he stand beside you, but he is within you. And so you have this comforter, this person, this deep union with God. And I'm going to tell you, church, it's not even us trying to reach God. This is what God has done to reach mankind. He has come down and he's brought you into union with himself. If you invited Jesus into your life, if you've asked God to come in and forgive your sins, I want you to know that he comes in and he begins to dwell in you in this incredible union that can't even be understood fully in this life. But there is a connection between you and God. There's a koinonia. There's a parakalesis. There's this connection between you and I that we need to understand who are we connected to? What has God done in coming down and meeting, reaching us with this helper? Well, the Bible tells us again in John 14. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My father will love, will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Sounds good. The advocate, which is that word paraclesis, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything he said to you, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so don't let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. God has sent a helper to come and to live in your life and in my life. When I am born again, that helper comes in and lives within me and within you. And, 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 and that helper helps us to live a cross-shaped life. He helps us to, to, he gives us counsel and comfort and understanding and power and he, and he helps us to walk with God and with one another in this life. It sounds pretty good to me. We're connecting with God in the kingdom of God. But that's not it. We're not only connected through the Holy Spirit according to this text, but we're connected with this other person called Jesus. Because did you know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit share a name? Let me read you the verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What am I saying? When you become born again, when you ask Christ into your life, you ask him to forgive your sins, the Bible actually says that you become a new creation. You are actually something the world has never seen before. And, and you are connected with God. God lives in you and you live in God. Do you understand how deeply connected you are, church, to God? 
That understand this. You've asked Jesus to come into your life. He has come in and placed his Holy Spirit within you. But not only is Christ in you by the power of his spirit, but you are also seated with Christ in heavenly places. And by the way, heaven is not someplace way out there. Heaven just means this. That Remember we talked about this kingdom of God that's veiled? It, it, it's all around you always, but there's a thin veil. What it's saying is that Jesus is right there, right present with you. The spirit of God is within in you. Church, you need to understand how deeply rooted and connected you are to God. You are new creations. This is who you are. And even though you don't see it, you're like, well, I don't understand. Why do I have such problems then? Because you're, you're still seeing things through a veil. You're still looking at one another and you look at one another and even though this advocate is within you and this advocate surrounds you in all things, sometimes you look in the mirror and you say, I don't feel like a new creation. And when you look at your spouse, you say, she's definitely not a new creation. That's a bad day, by the way. On a bad day. You don't want to know what she says about you. Just kidding. But understand, you know what? We're imprisoned. Listen to me, church. We're imprisoned in our minds and our thinking and we still see from our perspective of the old nature. Why is worship so critical? Why is prayer and Bible study and all these things so important for you? Why? Because God comes when you come on a Sunday, something gets removed. You understand the veil gets torn a little bit more. God shows up and shows you you're more than you think you are. And you need to start seeing yourself correctly because it's God's heart to unveil the truth of who you are. Why do you think that verse in John went on to say, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you? That, we, that word peace means wholeness. It means life and life abundant. It means that God is with you and for you in your life right now, but he is making something new. He's recreating you in his presence. He's actually pulling something out of you. Do you understand that when you invite Jesus into your life, he comes in into your heart, but he also comes in through the word of God as a seed. And as that seed begins to grow, do you understand the life and the nature of Christ is constantly pushing up in your life? It's trying to get out all the time. That's how this works. That's why you can come and hear the word of the Lord on Sunday and go, I don't know, something's shifted, something's changed. I'm going to live for God. And then Monday you're going, I don't know what happened. <laughs> you need to constantly be in that presence with God because he's wanting to form the life of Christ in you. This is what the cross-shaped life is about. You see, you and I are the body of Christ. We're about to partake of the body of Christ in a few minutes. But you and I are the body now. Christ lives in us, which is the second part of this verse. The kingdom life is revealed as we live together with others. This is what it goes on and says, I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, united in love, walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with abound, unabounded joy. See, what he was basically telling the Philippians was, guys, you are so connected to God, you can't even comprehend it. But you are fully connected to one another in the same way. Do you know, there's actually a Greek word in this text that only exists in this text in the entire Bible. 
It's a unique Greek word. It's made up of two words, and I'm going to explain them. And you're like, this is a lot of teaching, Pastor Greg. I know. But hang in there. Sumfukos is the word. It sounds cool to say it and practice it. Sumfukos. So it's made up of two unique Greek words. The word sum, it means united, connected, together with each other throughout the entire process. It is a deep word of connection. And that word phukos means the breath or the spirit of God. And so what this text is saying, this one unique Greek word in this text is saying this, you all in this room right now are so connected with one another. Do you know that the breath of the Holy Spirit, did you know that the breath of God that is in each one of you collectively unites you together? The same breath that gives you life and gives you power and gives you hope and gives you freedom, the same connection that each one of you has with the Spirit, you also share together. So when you're looking at the person next to you and you're angry with them, God is saying, don't do that. You need to understand who this person is. They are the new creations of God. They are the body of Christ. And together you're going to see the kingdom of God revealed in your life. That's why that passion version goes on. And he basically says things, agree with each other, love each other, live as deeply spirited friends, forgive each other. You know, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand to each other. You see, you are completely together throughout the process. And God wants you to know something, church. Listen, in this room are the undercover saints. There's something veiling the truth of who you are, but it's being revealed. It's being torn. God is exposing some things because he wants to birth the nature of Christ in your life and in my life. You see, church, that's our shared inheritance. (laughs) We are all uniquely connected to one another, so deeply rooted in Christ that each person next to you is the most valuable human being on planet Earth because the Spirit of God lives in them. Wow. That's our shared inheritance. But how many of you know we also have a shared suffering? (laughs) We have a shared suffering, and that shared suffering is that we both, all of us, suffer from this thing called sin. The Bible calls it the pathology of sin, or pathos is actually the Greek word. And you have the pathos of sin, but so does the person next to you. So even though you have a shared inheritance, even though you're connected to God, even though you, you have this incredible relationship with God and connection with one another, how many of you know that you are, you are broken and you are being restored into the image of God, but there's parts of your life that are still broken, but it's okay because the person next to you is broken as well. You have a deep connection with the person next to you. That's why Romans 8 goes on and tells us this. It says, if we are his children, we're his heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing in his inheritance with him. Only we must share in his sufferings in order to share in his glory. Do you know that word share is? Sum. Sum. It's that word. 
It's saying deeply connected to one another throughout the entire process. And then it goes on and talks about, you know, God is longing and the world is longing for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. This is the heart and intention of God. You are born again and you are left on planet earth, not just so you can wait to go to heaven. God is saying, I want to bring heaven out of you. I want to bring the nature of Christ out of you, church. And if you will let me do that, the people will see the kingdom of God and they will know that you are my followers by your love for one another. We are sharing this life together. Do you know what's incredible about our pathos, our sin, our pathology? This is mind-blowing. <laughs> Jesus united himself with us into our sinful nature. That's what communion is about. That he came and lived in us to deliver us from sin. That's what you're celebrating when you're celebrating communion. You're saying, Jesus is united with me. He's completely with me throughout the process of deliverance. Wow, God, that you would send your son, Jesus, to come and live within me and around me, that you would send the advocate to come and help me to live this life. But I don't see it, God, because it's veiled. It's veiled, church. Understand that. You see, there's also a shared glory and that shared glory is the glory and the power of God to transform you. The Bible says, who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord. You know, we sang it in that verse, that Holly read it in that verse, verse five of that 34, I think it was. You know, the unveiled faces, we reflect the glory of God and we're being changed, the Bible says, from glory to glory. That's what's happening, beautiful ones. You see, what, listen to me carefully, what you are beholding, you are becoming. When you make church, Christ, the word of God, prayer, fellowship with the saints, loving people, serving, you begin to behold something that begins to change you. It transforms you. We asked this morning in our morning huddle, why do you serve? And for many people, it changes me. That was kind of the common theme that came out. It changes me. That's true. Because it's counterculture. What we behold, we become. You're in a process. I want you to understand God is never gonna give up on you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. He wants to finish the work of transformation in you. And one day he will. But what's on the other end of the bookend? The kingdom life will push our true identity to the surface. Now follow me here. My beloved ones... My beautiful ones, 
Just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. Now you must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Live a cheerful life without complaining or divisions amongst yourself. Then you'll be seen as the innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. For you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe, offering them the words of eternal life. You're connected to Jesus, church. You're connected to the Holy Spirit, church. You're connected to each other, church. And then all of a sudden this verse comes in and it's like this terrifying verse in the Bible. You're like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ah! It's really scary. And you're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. You were just telling me that God loved me so much that he gave me the Holy Spirit in my life and, and he forgives me and he loves me and he's in me. How can he tell me now to be afraid? Be very afraid. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. What's going on in this verse? And that's what I was praying about and asking Jesus all week. What is, what's with this crazy passage, Lord? You're not telling me to work out my salvation like I need to work for my salvation because that would disagree with everything else that you've said in the word, that it's not by my works, but by your spirit and by your work that I am saved, God. So how can I work out my salvation? What's your job and what's my job? Is it Jesus and, you know, Jesus and my hard work? No, it's not about your hard work. Remember the very next verse, he goes on and says, for it is God who works in you and causes you. Then what is he talking about in this verse? You know, it's important for us to know what he's not talking about. I love this term, work out, you know? It means, it's kind of like, a, first of all, it's a farming term. We'll get there in a minute. What he's not saying is that he's not saying go and work your head off to try and earn your salvation. So then what is he saying? That word workout means, it's, it's this incredible word. It means to till the soil, to till your life. And when you till your life, rocks come out of your life. How many of you know that each in each one of us, remember we talked about that we, we have a common shared suffering? How many of you know you got a sinful nature still in there that God is working out of you? And, and when you start to work that out, how many of you know rocks are going to come out? My brother and I, when we were kids, we used to go to my grandpa's farm and then my uncle's farm. And, uh, and they would you know, give us the glorious task of picking rocks out of the field. And I just remember as a kid, I had enough wisdom to realize, like I'm following behind the tractor, getting covered in dust picking up rocks and putting them in the bin. And then the next year we'd go and we'd dr drive through the same field and there was rocks in it again. And I was like, Grandpa, like seriously, we just picked these rocks. Are you putting the rocks back in? Like, what are you doing? But do you understand that as you till the field and as frost comes, it's heaving out of the ground. It's birthing and pushing those things to the surface. Do you get that? How many of you know that's your life? That's what he's saying here. You know, work out your salvation as you till the soil, as you come to church, as you read the word of God, as you pray, the Holy Ghost is pushing things to the surface. And you're like, ah, that's terrifying. 
Push it back down. No, don't push it back down. Dig it out. And I'm not talking sometimes those rocks were not like the size of a hand. Sometimes you had to get three or four guys to lift these boulders that came out of the ground. I mean, no, that's your life. You got to stop hiding that stuff because until you uncover it, God can't deal with it. So he's just bringing it to the surface. You know, all the stuff that's happening in our world today, coronavirus and stock markets crashing and all these things, it's just revealing stuff in us, revealing fear in us, revealing, oh my God, what are you doing? God's like, come on, let it out. Just let it get out of there. Let me dig it out. Let me dig it out. Put your faith and confidence in me. For anything in this world that can be shaken is being shaken right now. But the kingdom of God is not being shaken. It's time to build our lives, church. To see the kingdom that is veiled and unveil it. He wants to work it out of our lives. <laughs> you see, even though I'm a new creation, that nature is undercover. And Christ is pushing it out of me and forming me. That's what he does. So this is what it's calling us to do. You see, we live, church, listen to me, we live in the middle of a crooked and depraved generation. God doesn't condemn this generation. He's come to save it. But this crooked and depraved generation, it's crooked, it's bent. It's bent in on self. It's self-centered. It's selfish. And God has come to deliver this culture by setting a people free in his church, his body, and demonstrating to the world that people can actually be free. They can be changed. This is what God is doing. We're surrounded constantly by our fallen identity, the marred images of mankind. As we look in the mirror, we see it. As we look in the face of the person next to us, we see it. But listen to me very carefully. What we are beholding, we are becoming. Why is Jesus warning us or Paul warning us in this text? Your job and my job in the working out of things is simply one thing. To position ourselves to see God. Because if I see God, I'm changed. If I see God, he begins to resurrect a new life within me. If I see God, I see hope. If I see God, I see joy. If I see God, I see peace. If I see God, I see the life that I'm always intended to live. I just need to see God. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation. It says things like, make every effort to enter into the rest of God. That sounds like a crazy verse. Make an effort to rest. What he's saying is, church, position yourself to see God. Because you live in a culture that is so twisted, so broken, and so perverse, that if you keep looking at it, you're going to become like it. And you need to look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, it says throughout the New Testament. Fix your eyes, fix your eyes, do whatever it takes. Work your head off to position yourself to see God. Don't be lazy about things of God. And if you are, confess it right now and say, God, I'm so lazy when it comes to the things of God. It's easier to go on Facebook than it is to open up my Bible app. You're in a crooked and perverse culture. 
that Jesus loves and wants to set free. It starts with you and I, church. We need to see them more accurately. Do you know that's what the word grace means? You've heard me say this before. It's the divine influence upon our heart and how it reflects in our life. Our whole job, our third value as a church is to receive God's grace daily. It just means position yourself to see God. Why do you come to church? Why is it so hard sometimes to come to church? Why does it feel like such an effort to come to church sometimes? Because the devil doesn't want you to see God. He doesn't want you to be with the saints of God. He doesn't want you to gather with people. And by the way, it's not even about you. It's about what you're becoming and who you're becoming. I stopped going to church for me a long time ago. And that's when I've been the happiest. When I go to church for the person next to me. So that they will see Christ in me and through me to them. I was reading an article by a guy named Sam Albury. I'm going to read a portion of it to you. It says it's very harmful if people are making some aspect of their earthly life, their fallen nature, their primary identity. We take the lens from which we see ourselves as the ultimate lens and the grid by which we see all things. See, church, we live in a world right now that identity is becoming the thing that we herald the most. And this isn't talking about sexual identity. It's any identity. I'm a young person. I'm a rich person. I'm a white person. I'm a black person. I'm a gay person. I'm a, it doesn't matter. You fill in the gap. It doesn't really matter. But do you understand that the gospel, the good news of God, is actually completely, totally counterculture? Because the culture is exalting your identity. You need to embrace who I am. I need to find out who I am. And you need to love who I am. Well, God does love you, but he tells you because he loves you that who you are is not helping you, it's killing you. The gospel actually says your identity is fallen and broken and marred. But the good news is Jesus has come to set you free from your fallenness, your brokenness, and your marredness. And to transform you into his image. And he will be together with you throughout the process. Isn't that good news? Preach the word of God. You will offend everybody. <laughs> Oh, the culture says our highest good is be true to yourself. God says die to self that you might truly live. Amen? Whew, you're part of a gospel that criticizes what our culture most highly prizes. Hallelujah. Whew. Christ wants to be revealed in you, church. Listen carefully now. We live in a world, and truthfully, even a church culture at times, that is defending its right to live out of its old identity.
I get people all the time that come to me and say, I want you to change the gospel so I can come to your church. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm enough of a coward that I would love to. But I'm enough of a saint that I can't. For what you behold, you become. We can't keep refusing God, church. It says live in fear and trembling. This is what Jesus is warning of. Paul is warning of live in fear and trembling because if you keep feeding at the trough of your culture, you will become like it. So come to the banqueting table that Christ's nature might be fully realized in you. Amen? Give you lots to think about today. So we're going to pray now and we're going to have communion. I'm going to ask the band to come back. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do that song um, that Luke was leading. I like that one for this moment. Because this isn't about looking at yourself as you come to the communion table. It's actually about looking at Jesus. And it's about saying, God, I fall short in this way and I need to recognize your body. And I need to recognize where I'm falling short. But I don't do that by sitting there and beating myself up and saying, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. You start that by saying, God, I am terrible. Look at all the brokenness in me. But God, I want the life of Christ to be fully manifested in me. So I come to the table, I come to the altar. Amen? That's what you're doing, church. There's like a whole massive plate of gluten-free communion over here. So, I mean, there's got to be more holy because it's there. And the rest are just normal, fully glutenized bread that you can partake of. It's really a celebration of your union with Christ and with the people around you. And if you have stresses or problems with people around you, you know what? Have an honest conversation and say, you know what? I'm so angry at you. I'm so hatred of you. You can't be because they're in Christ. Jesus died for them. You have no right to hang on to anger and hatred toward people. And I I really felt the Holy Spirit also say to me that there are some people here today that feel like it's too late. I can't go back. I, I, I can't stop doing what I'm doing. You know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can start today. As you take communion today, you restart. And by the way, you will stumble tomorrow. And what do you do then? You get up. And you reorient yourself to see Jesus again. Amen? And the next day when you fall again, and tomorrow when you fall 10 times, you get up every time and you reorient yourself toward Jesus. That's the hope that Christ has said, I'm with you. I picked you. I picked you. Knowing that you would stumble and you would fall and you would fail and you would make so many mistakes, I still chose you. I sent a helper to you because I'm for you and not against you. Amen?